Hello and welcome to the next episode of Lost in Criterion. I'm John Patrick Oatari Dorkin, and with me, as always, is a man whose secret downloadable DLC weapon is a bear trap. <laughs> I am the Adam Glass, and uh, and after you pay twenty five more dollars on top of the seventy five dollar video game charge, uh, that bear trap is actually just the most ineffectual weapon in the game. Oh yeah, well I I was kind of imagining like maybe your arms were bear trap launchers, which would be kind of <laughs> cool. Yeah, unfortunately uh, they don't uh, they don't set the bear traps before launching them. Oh, so, so it just chucks heavy pieces of metal at yeah, people. Yeah, I mean it still hurts. <laughs> yeah, Trust of course, me on that you, one, you hit somebody but, in the head with that. It's going to do yeah, some damage. But. Yeah, but mostly uh. it just makes you want to drink. Before we get into this week's episode, I want to talk about our Patreon, patreon.com slash lostincriterion. Zero bear traps. Zero bear traps on the Patreon. Uh, I mean, unless you want them. That, that could be like a $250 tier if you want. I'll mail you a bear trap. It might be illegal, though. So mm. uh, One, it might be illegal. Two, you might want to check the cost of bear traps before you uh, promise yeah, that's that true. I probably, Well, I mean... One. Let's be clear here. It might be a paper mache bear trap. Ooh, yeah. Made nice. by me and my son is an art project. An origami bear trap. Oh yeah. Oh, God, don't do not commit me to that. <laughs> I will I will I will not do that. That is not a thing I will do. God, I'm so bad at origami. Oh my god. The number of times I've been laughed at by different by ver- by Japanese people of various ages for my origami skills. I Excellent. This is really a deep wound. It's a it's a form of trauma at this point. Like, I can't. I won't. I won't do origami in public. I well, refuse. If I'm sorry. Like, and then we're gonna do origami. I just walk away. I'm sorry like, to nope, mock your sorry. trauma, but that is hilarious. It is pretty funny, actually. But like, oh god, I'm so bad at it. Like even the simplest thing. They're like, make this thing, and I'm like, I can't. Nope. And it always just comes out looking like uh, like something that was in my pocket when I put it in the wash. <laughs> Oh dear, oh dear. Well, patreon.com slash lost in criterion. If you want to support us for just a dollar a month, you get to vote on and get access to the recording of a bonus episode. Um, I put together a little list every month, usually themed, sometimes user submissions from other Patreon uh, supporters. Those are always really good ones. I always enjoy that a lot. We put together a four uh, movie list. And then item number five is always, always Kazam, the 1996 children's film in which Shaquille O'Neal plays a genie. Plays a boombox, really. Yeah. When you yeah. think about it. Like, I mean, yeah, he, you know, <laughs> the living he has a corporeal human form, but he is a boombox. Yeah, probably. That makes more sense. I, I like to think that's how genies work. They are actually lamps. Yeah. The bonus episode is always a non-criterion film. We've watched some really great movies over there, some really terrible movies over there. Dog Day Afternoon. Uh, it's one of the good ones, not one of the terrible ones. It's one of the good ones, yes, certainly. One of the bad ones, let's say Will Ferrell's Monster Kicking Squad? and Streaming. Yeah, see, I, I, wanted, I wanted to divert our, our way away from Kicking and Screaming because, we have like, been, frankly, we like, have been downing it's on so it. bad that yeah. I feel like 
we hurt ourselves and we hurt our audience by bringing it up. <laughs> That's fair. Um, we've also uh, watched movies that uh, that we really love that maybe the general public doesn't, like uh, Hudson Hawk or your Hudson Hawks and your now Hudson you see Hawks me. and also your Hudson Hawks. <laughs> Yeah. I think now you see me qualifies on that list. Yeah, too. well, Stephen posted that thing about like it. It just it sits right firmly at fifty percent as a oh yes on yes on, the, so it's, on it's, tomatoes it's, yes. It definitely qualifies as an unpopular opinion. Yeah, uh, but we also watched just some phenomenal movies. So not only Dog Day Afternoon, but uh, the Americanization of Emily is one of my favorite movies of all time. We've watched uh, Failsafe was actually surprisingly good for being the. Yeah, it was uh, pretty good. Yeah, I mean, it was for being it is the really non-comedy version of Doctor Strangelove. Failsafe, was <laughs> which is actually good. pretty great. I, yeah. I feel like that should be a box set. Frankly, yeah, like, you could just sell like we've got the comedy and non-comedy versions of this nightmare. Here you yeah. go, and re- release it. Release it on the uh, late '90s style dual-sided disc. Oh yeah, uh, that'd be great. You just gotta flip it over to watch the. Oh, other ooh, one. and you know what? The dual-sided disc. In the cardboard sleeve when they were still sorting that shit out, which is the way I owned the Matrix, because oh, like dear. I bought it like when DVDs were brand new and it was in a cardboard. It was like it was a box, but it was like it was wild. It was like I never owned another one like that. Like, they so tried it weird. for like a three days or something. Like this yeah. is not going to work. This melts in the rain. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, for a little bit extra over there, for $5 a month, we'd like to thank those people on air. So thank you to Adam Speakerman and to Kevin Little for your $5 yes, thank per month you. support. A little more than that, we do something that I really, really love. Pat makes a piece of art based on one of the movies we watched recently. I get it printed up on a postcard and write a personal note and mail it off to you. That's yeah, ten dollars. I mean, if you're listening to this, it's too late. But man, July's was good. I July's was, so was happy. good. I'm very happy with July's as well. Uh, we also like to thank those people on air. So thank you to Jason Westhaver and to Michael McGrath for your continued support at that level. Yeah, if absolutely. you want to get in on that at any level, uh, one dollar or more, head to Patreon.com/slash/LostInCriterion. Bear trap level. <laughs> I like the idea of bear trap level because you're committing to literally only getting bear traps. Yes. We're not even going and, to and thank you the, on air. No, just no, that's all you level. get. You know, it doesn't include any any lower tiers, just bear traps. And frankly, like you're committing to not getting usable bear traps because I'm sure I can't send those by mail. Right, right, almost certainly. So this week we are once again talking about a Robert Bresson film. I like how you decided this time. You're like, no, I'm going to pronounce his name fucking correctly. Damn yeah, it. Yeah. If it no, I, uh, kills me. I had a, uh, one of my first things back to work was a wine class uh, taught uh-huh. by one of our employees who was being uh, trained to be a sommelier, uh, mostly for the benefit of new employees, but they decided to schedule me for it. So I went and I'm always up for getting paid to drink. So count me in. Yeah. Uh, who is but, it? Right. Uh, but he started it off by pronouncing Pinot Noir correctly, and insisting no. that that is how how we would say how we should say Pinot Noir. Uh, right, but then like your customers who are let's be clear here, not that sophisticated. Right, right. I mean, wealthy, yes. Sophisticated, no. My customers who say balsamic aren't oh, going God, to say Pinot Noir. So 
Oh, um, God. Well, I mean, I guess, like, if you had a very thin mustache, they would buy into the whole thing. I guess, I guess. Um, anyway, anyway, I wanted I wanted to then correct his pronunciation of everything else he said, even the most subtly wrong things. <laughs> like when he said Savion Blanc, instead of instead of that C, you don't actually pronounce it so much as it escapes into your nose. Savion right. Blanc. Uh, you gotta you gotta swallow that at the last second, right? But uh, I decided not to. You should have committed to it. Just, be and just been a real <laughs> asshole to this guy. Be like, yeah, I'm gonna yeah. ruin your fucking day. Um, I would like. All right. On an unrelated note, okay. Yeah. Like if I now we've gone down a deep, deep uh, pronunciation rabbit hole here. Absolutely. Um, a pet peeve of mine that that like one all of one of our listeners will understand. Um, <laughs> Maybe, presumably. Um, I I live in Japan. You may be aware of this. Um, there is a a, ho- a thing that is present and happens, and has happened to me by multiple people multiple times. People from certain parts of the UK uh, actively mispronounce the A in Japanese words, and it makes me want to die. So... The correct pronunciation of the character system in Japanese is kanji, because ka is always rendered as ka. Okay, yeah. it's kakiku keiko. Okay, that's how like Japanese syllables work. Okay, multiple people I know from the UK actively walk around in conversations and call it kanji, and it is. Whew, it when you said they're mispronouncing kanji, there was one way that I knew would give me chills if you said it was that way, and it was and that was it. It was. it was. It is. It is so painful. It As, is. It is. De- and I have told mo- and and everybody I know who's not from the UK, like, is on board. We all. It, it comes up like once every so often. We'll all just be talking to be like, and then there's and then there's kanji. And you're like, someone, why? As why? someone like, who these are people has, who speak Japanese. These are people who walk around speaking Japanese and speak it correctly. But then it comes to this one situation, and they're like, I'm going to say kanji. It's terrible. Or I, I'm going to die on this hill right here, I mean, right I now. Can't. I'm going to call it kanji. Obviously, I have we have demonstrable proof that I uh, I cannot pronounce Japanese words. Yeah, uh, well, because you've got but... too many different pronunciation systems in your head is the problem. <laughs> I've got like five, honestly. Yeah, so. well, no, but that's probably too many. Like I've yeah. I've committed to the one, and yeah. I've gotten decent at it. But yeah. Uh, anyway, back to the movie. Robert Bressel. Yeah, oh yeah, right. The thing we do, the podcast. Yes, I'll pronounce it even more even more correctly. Robert Bresson. Uh, oh, very good. Ooh, ah. does that? I mean, is that a red or a white? <laughs> I believe it's a rosé, actually. Oh, okay. Uh, this is his 1967 Mouchette. It is the film he made directly after Alhazar Balthazar, which I don't believe was the last Bresson film we watched. I believe we had one between this and that. Did we? I can't remember. We watch a lot I of Bresson. Remember is the thing. Uh, I can't remember exactly what order we watched most of the Robert Bresson films. So, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I don't. I mean, like, there's a few that stick really hard. Alhazar, or I can't. I can't. I mean, I certainly I remember the films. I just don't remember. Yeah, I mean, exactly. Yeah, what order they yeah. came in. I'm in the. Yeah, well, I think we're all pretty much in the same boat with that. Because yeah, I, 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 I couldn't tell you. Looking at the list of Bresson films in the Criterion Collection, Alhazar Balthasar was probably the last one we saw. Because Largent's not until 800. 
A man escaped we haven't seen yet. It's also, it's 6.50. And uh, and Pickpocket, I believe we watched before Alhazar Balthazar. Well, and I don't really remember Pickpocket, honestly. Pickpocket was... Oh, no, Pickpocket we did watch just after Alhazar Balthazar. Really? Like, yeah. I don't, that doesn't, like, I mean, I, I, I believe you. Pickpocket's it's it's name on the tip. Oh, I remember. It That's is. the one with the oh right. I remember. That's the one where now. the guy thought yeah. he was an Ubermensch because he could pickpocket, but he actually wasn't yeah. very good at pickpocketing. So. Yeah, I remember that one. Yep, yep, yep. Yeah. That was. I think the reason I don't I don't remember it as well automatically is it it is, it is yeah it's still Bresson, but it's like, it's not like this this today. This this is Bresson for me. It is you know not what I mean? the. It is not We're the. Really uh, in his wheelhouse right now. It is not the Catholic depression of Bresson. No, yeah, <laughs> it's not like it's not a continual string of just feeling like you want to die. <laughs> right, like it's right, not right, right. Mouchette and uh, Mouchette and Alhazar Balthasar are definitely companion pieces. Oh yeah, for uh, sure. Like if you if you told me that Mouchette was like somewhere in. Balthazar, like <laughs> just took place as just a random side character. I totally believe it. I, yeah. yeah, okay, yeah. I'm on board. Other way yeah. too, totally like could be the other way as well. Right, right, works for me. Yeah, if if Balthazar hadn't died at the end of that narrative, <laughs> wouldn't it be great if yeah, like Ghost Balthazar was in the background of this movie? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's like there's just a random, random fucking mule wandering around yeah, or whatever. Yeah. Oh, it'd be so good. Anyway, anyway, uh, it's actually all part of the same timeline. Yeah, um, it came out in 1967. Is possibly the only the only Bresson film we've ever watched where it actually makes reference to culture enough to time it out to when it was released. Right, right. And this one, it, like barely ninety ninety five percent of this movie could take place between the wars. But the well, yeah, the fair scene yeah. is definitely a nineteen sixty seven fair, right? <clears throat> right. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. yeah, I mean, like generally, it is it is it is mostly timeless, though. I mean, like yeah. you could you could commit to like a pretty wide swath of time based on just sort of like what actually happens in the story. But yeah, yeah. As long There's... as guns exist in the time that you're talking about, basically, you're good <laughs> right, to go. right. Um. There is a sentence in the Wikipedia of this that implies that the that an international Catholic league sponsors an award at Con, which okay. I guess is that it, true. I guess wouldn't it surprise me? It actually does make a lot of sense. <laughs> like, I mean, if we're being really honest here, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Um, according according to Wikipedia here. And it's a it's a single citation, so I assume I assume this is true. It was entered into the nineteen sixty seven Con Film Festival, winning the OCIC award from the International Catholic Organization for Cinema and Audiovisual. Which is OCIC okay. in French. So Oh and it's somehow when you look it up on the internet, you you also get the Cygnus, which is, I guess, the awarding body. Okay. Which sure. is a, lay, a Catholic layperson's organization. Well, good. At least it's not a bunch of priests getting together and deciding. Seems this. like it. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a Roman Catholic lay ecclesia, uh, ecclesial movement for professionals in the communication media, including press. Blah, 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 blah. Okay. Yeah, it seems like it. Yeah. So it seems like it's more of an organization for 
Catholic filmmakers. Communication. Yeah, basically, or Catholic basically. Uh, people in communications. Yeah, as a as a organization for them, which is fascinating. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, I mean it's still a... giving out awards. There's I OCIC awards list all the way up to 2019. Uh, so there you go. There you go. Interesting. Um, this is based on a novel by Jorge uh, uh, Bernanos or Bernanos rather. Um, I missed an N when I first said it. I uh, he also wrote the Diary of the Country Priest. Okay. Uh, which obviously we saw, uh, we saw adapted by Bresson uh, as one of our first Bresson films, one of one of two early ones. Um, that and the uh, the Doms do uh, do Bergeon or whatever. Les Doms du Bois du Boulogne is the right. Yeah, that one that I can never say correctly. Yeah, and then I and that's one of the ones that's I kind of. Faded right. a little bit from the right, and that was the first one. It was the only Bresson we've ever watched that was anything resembling a mainstream movie. Right. Uh, yeah. So it was. It was definitely, definitely different. Um, oh, interesting. Bernanos uh, was initially a supporter of Francisco Franco. Uh, at the outset of the Spanish American or Spanish Civil War, uh, and then saw how bad Franco was, and was like, "Nope." <laughs> well, at least you know, at least you he, are the bad guys. That, that clicked at some point. Yeah. That's he 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 says his illusion regarding Franco lasted two or three weeks. <laughs> um. Like I. I, I, you know what? Like honestly speaking, like I'm cool with you. Not you don't have to put that in your bio. Two right. or three weeks, you can right. just be like, look, okay, like, it was a mistake. Two or three weeks, and I was like, oh, shit, this guy's bad. And then I bailed. Like, that's like, I mean, you wouldn't put a relationship. Like, if you're, like, writing the Wikipedia bio for some dude yeah. or some lady, you wouldn't put a two to three week relationship with somebody in there, right? You wouldn't be like, literally every three dates they've ever been on, like, well, Went on two and a half dates with this person. Got to put it in the bio. Right. Um, so, uh, Jorge Bernanos, the uh, the guy who wrote this uh, and, and Diary of the Country Priest, wrote, uh, I don't know if he self, if he called, this, called it this himself. I think Bresson called it uh, Catholic Realism. <laughs> uh, which is sorry, it's, like it's accurate. That's an accurate description of what this right, is. Right, right. Oh, boy, that's a depressing way to go. Woof. Right. right. If if Bresson coined that term, it is even more indicative of of Bresson's worldview uh, that he believes uh, Diary of a Country Priest and and Mouchet are are realism um, in their base narrative. Right. Uh, obviously, Bresson's going for his own sort of realism in the portrayal of the story, uh, but but that he thinks the base narrative is realistic, which you know something. I mean, some, I'm not going to say he's wrong. Something like, Bresson yeah. was very interested in Diary of the Country Freeze, and obviously comes up here is intergenerational alcoholism and the abuses related to that. Uh, 
But it does seem to be something he believes is a rural France problem. And I think probably he's absolving urban areas a little too much. But Yeah, probably. That I, is, mean, that, I don't mean yeah, that as a French stereotype. That, yeah. I think that is, uh, that is a problem uh, around the world. Alcoholism in general. Uh, but uh, And then certainly the intergenerational narr- uh, nature yeah, of that is it does, definitely... It is a, not a, a rural problem, problem more than an urban problem. Absolutely. Yeah, uh, no, I think, I you know, he's got biases as well, right? Of course. Yeah, right. That makes sense. Of course, this isn't this isn't the Jean Gabin train film where the narrative suggested that intergenerational uh, alcoholism is what causes murderers. So they've got <laughs> right, that going right, for right. them, at least yeah. with this one. Yeah. Although, uh, although you know, to be fair, it kind of goes in a weird direction like that. Uh, <laughs> like, well, I mean, a little bit. you know, gin makes you do a bunch of bad stuff. That's for sure. Yeah. Um, yeah, but gin is also the thing you use to celebrate having not done the bad stuff. So This is true. Uh, I mean, yes, also true. Right. I don't know if the film so much suggests that gin makes you do things so much as, no, as gin is just ubiquitous. Like, yeah, no, it yeah, it does imply that more is that like once once you're in the bottle, you're in the bottle is kind of uh, more the 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 storyline here. Uh yeah. more than anything else. So, uh Mouchette actually the English the English cut of the film uses the same the same uh untranslated title. Uh Mouchette the word means little fly. Uh Okay. So I don't mean to suggest that it maybe isn't an actual like used name, but it's definitely a derogatory name applied to right, but like character. Right, but the question, I mean, yes, in in the narrative, as far as we're concerned, that is her name. Yeah. Uh, but but then again, it's what people actively this, call her. So right, for sure. But what I, what I'm what you wonder is is that like it's not uncommon in movie credits and a lot of other things like that that like people are credited by what they're called right i mean they're not credited necessarily as like you know sometimes you get the movie uh where like somebody went a little bit nuts and they're like everybody's credited the way they're written in the script (laughs) yeah and they all have like names because like somebody was like well we're getting all these characters names um but like one does wonder whether or not this is actually her name or just what literally everybody calls her is this this hyper derogatory, like insult? You know, I can go either way on that. Like, I mean, that may not. I mean, does her mother call her Michelle? I I'm not uh, clear if that happened. I have to watch it man, again. Man, I can't. Yeah, I'd have to watch it again. I don't. I don't think her mother ever addresses her by a name. I think her mother always just uses like the command form and just saying like "come over here" and stuff like that. Yeah, and you know, so. What I start to wonder is, is like, is part of sort of uh, Bresson's sort of uh, like version of realism the fact that like, so ubiquitous is this this derogatory name for her that that is essentially her name. The no that like, yeah, you're in some way sort of defined by other people. That like, if literally everybody calls you this thing, that is, for all intents and purposes, your name. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so the Criterion DVD, this wasn't on uh, 
it's not on um, Filmstruck for some or not Filmstruck Criterion Channel. Filmstruck doesn't exist anymore. Uh, it's not on Filmstruck for some reason, but uh, the Criterion DVD <laughs> of this. You really committed I did it again, to that. Didn't you I? fixed it and then said it. it yeah. I really enjoyed that. That was fun. Yeah. Uh, anyway, it's not on Criterion Channel for some reason, but there's a uh, there's a trailer for this from 1960 that was cut by Jean-Luc Goddard. Okay. Uh, and it is so it is so Gar- Godardian. <laughs> uh so the first the first title card, uh, which is 13 seconds into a, a minute and a half, a minute 37 long trailer, uh, calls the movie a mass in color. Show a couple more clips from the movie uh, and another title that says, well, black and white colors. <laughs> oh my God. Oh, Goddard. So it, it calls it, uh, you know, the movie about a rape of a young woman. Uh, in short, a film that is Christian and sadistic. Uh, accurate. <laughs> which is accurate. Uh, <laughs> but yeah. Um, <laughs> it's, uh, it's just so Goddard. Because all those title cards are, are, are white block letters on a black background. And it's just well, yeah, it's the, the, the cl- opening the credits of, style, of yeah. any Goddard film we've ever, ever seen. Um, yeah. So that's delightful too, and I don't know why it wasn't on uh, Criterion Channel. Uh, but it is on the it is on the DVD release. It's on the internet. It's also uh, just on the internet. It's also I, just on YouTube. Just on yeah, YouTube, you can yeah. you can Google it. It's like that's I was, how I yeah. watched it. I yeah. Um, <laughs> but yeah, this is as as Goddard said a a Christian and sadistic film about the rape of a young woman. It is. Whereas uh, Alhazar Balazar used a donkey to stand in for all the horrors of the world, uh, this movie just uses an actual little girl, uh, admittedly well, played and, by an eighteen-year-old actress, but playing a fourteen-year-old. Right, and and very clearly, like I mean, we 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 as the audience are definitely like, you know, played by an eighteen-year-old, yes, but like we're all very. Yeah supposed to be very well aware of like this is a this is a horror film like in in a lot of functional ways like this is a movie about sort of very human horror but it is like oh yeah 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 it is about a the torture of a person right that is all it is it is about a person's whose very existence has been turned into torture right uh and i mean it's very i mean it's dark and very upsetting but it's also like very 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 well done in terms of like making you understand like oh, yeah there are people like people's lives are hell and it's because other people make their lives hell like people actively choose to make other people yeah. suffer yeah um, and of course is a, is a, Althazar Balthazar had had the female lead who was also as put upon as as Balthazar and as put upon as Machette but but having the movie be about Balthazar and how Balthazar we only see the girl when Balthasar is interacting with her, right? Right. Uh, so, well, and, th- and that makes it very different. I mean, right. y- yes, but like this movie is much more th- deeply involved with with the horrors happening to this this woman, right? Right, and, and and it's very and it, yeah, and and I think Balthasar is, is even now seems like a weird choice in some ways. 
because yeah. because of its sort of weird its choice of of Balthazar as its sort of metaphorical stand-in for humanity, it really blunts the knife in a lot of ways. Whereas this just doesn't. It's weird that they come out a year late, like they're a year apart. It's like if you were going to make the same movie essentially twice, right? I mean, they're obviously they're functionally you did it back to back, but the too, goal right? is the same. The goal right. is to tell you about how bad people are to each other, uh, and 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 just how unkind the world can be. This one is more effective. Like just just getting just round just down to brass tacks. This is more effective. Yeah, because we are watching a human being suffer. Like it is just that's right. all this movie is. It's just watching one indignity and suffering after another. Uh, yeah, it's just it's brutal. This movie is really, really brutal. Yeah, there the other two video supplementals on the disc, and and these are on Criterion Channel. Um, one is a half hour documentary uh, shot. Uh, during the film by uh, Theodore Kutula, uh, who it was at the time a German film critic who would become uh, one of the new German cinema uh, filmmakers. Uh, he shot a half-hour documentary, sort of just behind the scenes, where he does some interviews with, with Bresson primarily. And then there's a shorter episode, about an eight-minute segment, uh, from a French uh, film magazine television show. And uh, and I think the French one probably shot first because in it, the host asks Bresson why he uses adolescence in his films. And the answer he gives that he seems to be coming up with off the cuff in that interview uh, presents, he, he basically quotes it much more concretely, uh, in my viewing, uh, in the German one. Uh, but... Yeah, the host asked Bresson, "You often use adolescence on your films. Why?" Uh, and uh, and Bresson says, "They're more flexible. Uh, that they're interesting because of their mystery uh, of teenagers." Um, okay. Uh, and then describing the narrative, and this is the part that shows up in the German one too. Uh, he says that what he finds interesting is thrusting a child, a young girl into a situation that's terribly mean, even nasty, and seeing how she reacts. Uh, so it's yeah. just, yeah, it's it's Bresson being mean to this person, uh, which suggests suggests that one of the reasons he, buy, he gets uh, non-professional actors is that he doesn't necessarily want his lead to view it as a job so much as her life now. And, right, uh, yeah, which is gross. And which really is kind of gross. Yeah, like we get into this really weird thing because that that answer that answer is fundamentally disappointing. Honestly, yeah, yeah. like that answer is like there's lots of good reasons why you would choose to use young people, right? Right. Like there's there's lots of arguments to be made about like this is a young person who could be taught that the world is a good place, but is instead taught that the world <laughs> right. is a very bad place, right? Right. There are, there are reason, very reasonable arguments for why you, you lead with children and young people in movies that are about the nature of the universe, because they are actually learning about it, whereas adults yeah. have already learned Because they're not cynical they yet, right? Right, exactly. Absolutely. And then that could go in both directions, right? You can have a movie that's very positive where where young people learn 
that about positive notions about the world and like how to make the world a better place. And then it also works in negative movies as well, right? Um, yeah. But then, like, Breston's answer is just fundamentally disappointing. Like, it's... I I also, too, enjoy torture. And as a as a fellow lover of torture, I like, I like my movies to be an experience for me as well as the audience. <laughs> right, right. Like, it's a very weird answer, right? It's like a... It's like, well, I mean, I could make a movie about torturing young people that only the audience gets to appreciate, but then what would I, the lead torturer, get out of it? Uh, is a fucked up perspective and very disappointing. And you know what? I'm going to decide this is a death of the author moment, and I'm going to ignore <laughs> that. I am going to ignore Breson's uh, stated reasons for choosing young people yeah. and go with something that that philosophically lines up better with what his movies are actually about. Right? Yeah. Like, I mean, yeah. his answer sucks partially because his movies are not not that right like they're yeah. like we've seen movies that are just the joy of torture uh to a certain extent like right. these don't feel that way they feel like they're trying to make a point about what right life right. is right um also on the uh on the episode of cinema uh for being so short it actually packs a lot more information i feel than the than the german thing Ger- the german one you get to see a lot of Bresson's process which is interesting in his own right and i'll get to that in a moment uh, but also on the cinema episode, uh, they interview Jean-Claude Gilbert, uh, who plays uh, plays Arsene, the uh, the poacher, mm-hmm. um, and also played, I believe, the dad in El Hazar, Balthazar. But okay. that makes him that makes him the only person to ever, I believe, be in two Bresson films. Wow, he was a mason. Uh, like like a builder, not like a not like a secret right, no, society. I, I, mason. I understand. I understand. A literal mason, not a secret vampire. Gotcha. Uh, and uh, sorry, a and weird the, reference the interviewer ta- talks to him cool. and talks to him about how he was in two Bresson films, and uh, and asks him asks him if he likes the work, and he says it's mindless, but it pays <laughs> well. Uh, I love the idea of a person whose job is like. Like it is, that is a fascinating analysis yeah. from somebody. He that thinks, is really deeply fascinating. He thinks masonry masonry is a job that takes thought and acting, which is a it job. does. It sure as shit does. Yeah, and his acting but, is yes. a job that does not take thought. And I think that's probably think, something about Bresson's style in that they're trying to be naturalistic. So he's he doesn't want his actors to think about acting. That's right? true. Right. Right. Like just react to the scene yeah. sort of behavior. Would, yeah, would, would come off to a certain extent as he does. Kind he of does say that he thinks Bresson's job. Is an intelligent job, uh, and the uh, the interviewer finishes by asking if uh, if he would ever work with someone else, and he says he says uh, yeah if the pay's the same. Uh, <laughs> and he yeah, says I'll be an actor as long as you pay me for it. Yeah, we often do tireless things if they pay well. So <laughs> it's it's I, a great I little like interview. This guy a lot. I love this guy. <laughs> I'm a fan. I love this guy. Um, but. Uh, so talking about process uh, in the uh, in the German work, the the Cotillo or Cotula, uh documentary, um, Bresson kind of opens it up with talking about uh, how he likes to visualize the entire movie beforehand before he even shoots a single shot. He wants to know everything that's going to happen, but 
undermining himself, but not in a way that like it's an afterthought where he thinks he went too far. Like this is this is a full complete thought that he just presents, not like he's trying to backtrack. Uh, he okay. also says he likes actors surprising him. He likes he likes it. Um, you know, one reason that he uses non professionals is because they they know what they're doing in a real life situation. So he likes to surprise, and he like he doesn't want them to be tied to the page. We do that, and then five minutes later, we see what must be at least 20, 30 minutes of takes condensed of Mouchette standing up from her floor bed. And that is it. It is just her her standing up and just doing it over and over again. (laughs) Because he did it like the way she stood up. (laughs) Right? Yeah. Right? Fascinating. Uh, Yeah. Um... And they do, you know, there's a couple, basically all the actual behind the scenes thing is just cut after cut of literally three seconds of the camera being on, if not, if even that much. Like another one that they do over and over again is her walking through the gate to the gamekeeper's house when she's getting milk toward the end of the film. Right. Um, and, uh, and another one is her walking to the school. And it's it's basically Bresson constantly telling her to move slower and more mechanically. Okay. Not I mean not mechanically in those words, but you know how she she's very stiff. Right. In how she acts, and it's part it's part of it's part of Bresson trying to have her portray the depression of the situation. But it's also it's also part of that Bresson stuff we've talked about before of of his Basically, he just tells his actors not to have emotions, right? Right, yeah. Yeah. So, the behind-the-scenes thing was very interesting in that I saw pretty much everyone involved with the movie smiling at some point, which is not something you see in the movie, so... Right. Yeah. Well, I mean, they, they straight up do not have emotions, but... Um, right. Well, I mean, that's the interesting thing, right, is, like, I mean, it is it is a, like, a fascinating technique, right? Like... We're we're to a certain extent meant to paint our own emotions onto the characters, right? Right, right, right. Uh, absolutely. Which is, which is is interesting, right? Because uh, we see what's happening. We we are human beings. We can process like, well, yeah. this is all very bad. Um, right. Yeah. It, it, yeah. It's as we talked with Balthazar, Bresson's idea of his actors as sort of blank slates for us to project them on, project onto them. Uh, and that being what he thinks is the difference, what what sets film apart from stagecraft is the transformation right. possible. Um, and that and he says he says in one of the interviews that that art has to it has to be transformative. Right. Otherwise, it's not art. And that's his problem with much of modern cinema at his time uh, was that it wasn't transformative. And he talks right. about yeah, that specifically in how he sure. uses music. Music can't just exist in the movie. The music has to be transformative. I don't think, while he does it, I don't think Bresson saw the music of the, uh, the music of the Pharisee was not art to him. Right? It was just right set piece had to be there for like yeah. the purposes of conveying right. the story or something right. like that. Yeah. Whereas yeah, that's probably true. Yeah. Whereas the three uses of uh, Monteverde's uh, Magnificat uh, through the film. Uh, at least three. I can only think of three. Uh, but but the opening scene with the mother in the church, uh, as she walks away off screen, we hear this classical piece. 
Uh, and then we hear it again during the rabbit hunt. And then we hear it again at the end of the film, uh, after, uh, after Mouches rolled into the water again off screen. Um, you might hear it when the mom dies too, but, but that is, that is a religious piece of music. Um, and the Magnificat is a, uh, a portion of the Bible, uh, the Magnificat is when Mary learns that she's pregnant with Jesus. She sings this song about what she expects Jesus will be. And it's uh, tearing down the rich, raising up the poor, um, feeding the hungry, sending, sending, uh, tearing down the powerful, raising up the poor, feeding the hungry, sending the rich away empty. Uh, there's a little more to it than that, but that's the, the, the main part. Um, so it's, it's using this religious work and not even necessarily the meaning of the religious work, but, but the religious work, the Magnificat makes sense for the opening scene. Uh, and then to use it for the rabbit scene transforms it into something else, right? It, it twists, right. twists what yeah. you're trying to say with it. And then we come back to the end and, and the end, those two previous uses come together also right 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 so yeah it's even even without any deeper understanding of what the the piece actually means you still recognize it as as grand sort of religious music in that we're introduced to it with the church right so so even not necessarily knowing what the piece is you still understand and the music transforms your understanding of these scenes right right i mean you watch the music transform over time regardless of what your you know understanding of it is right right Um, right yeah absolutely yeah so it's preston preston is a fascinating director we joke a lot about how all his movies are boring and depressing (laughs) Um, right although i will say that this one was in terms of categories of boringness, this one was more engaging for me than some of the other ones have been. Just in terms That's of, fair. Uh, at least, like this at one, least there was a fun fair in the middle of this one. Well, yeah, it was not, <laughs> I was. I, I don't know. You're, like you're done. That's not. There, there is something he did hit on something very deeply, like entrenched in sort of psyche, human psyche, right? I think in the sense that, like, another thing about showing young people is you are you are deeply connected to their. I think as a normal human being, you have an auto automatic response to be concerned for their well-being. Yeah. You know what I mean? Even if they're not, you know, it it, it is, an, I think, is fundamentally an aberration in a, in human culture if it is not deeply concerned with the well-being of just children in general. Yeah. Does that make sense? You know what I mean? Like, you see a child on screen, and especially if bad things are happening to it, you are engaged because you're, you're just constantly as a person right kind of sitting there going like i hope this gets better like i really deeply hope that this doesn't continue and then you know you're in a breast film so you're like it's not gonna get better <laughs> yeah this is not this is, you know me like on an intellectual level i'm very well aware that this is not getting any better than it is but on a on a more on a deeper human level you're just sort of like i gotta keep watching because i i have a fundamental need to like monitor children and make sure that they're not like nothing bad's going to happen despite the fact that bad things are happening here um is is just one of those fun, uh strange side effects of using young right. people right right um 
And so that made it more engaging. Also, de- much more deeply upsetting, right? Like, you watch it, and it's, it is painful. It is a painful watch in some ways because you're like, well, I'm going to watch this young person suffer for, yeah. I guess, 90 minutes. That's what I'm going to do today. Right. Um, and even, and perhaps this is Bresson's belief of Catholic realism, uh, even the people who appear to care for Mouchette at first turn on a dime and call her absolutely. a whore. Oh yeah, no, absolutely. Like yeah. they're they're I mean, yeah, I think I think so. I mean, like in some ways, right, like the the problem we get into with Breston is that like like his view of the world is 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 deeply deeply pessimistic, right? Like I mean, this is the height of sort of pessimism in a in, in a sense, right? Because like no one is ever nice to her. Yeah. Like on on a on a consistent rate like no one is just human like it's just a nice human towards her and and per on a personal level i would hope that that's just not the case like that that argument about human beings i would hope is an exaggeration i don't know that it necessarily is but i would hope right yeah. that there would just be some people who are just nice who are just like, you know what I mean? Like, when you start thinking about the people she encounters, like, everybody has these sort of motivations and, and behaviors that are based on a sort of fundamental understanding that everybody's an asshole. Like, just kind of is sort of the operating guidelines for this universe, right? Like, yeah. well, yeah, I mean, that's a human being. It must be an asshole. That's just part and parcel of the whole thing. And I don't, And I don't know that that's necessarily true. Um, if that makes sense. Like it, it's, I believe there certainly are a lot of assholes, but like, yeah. I mean, you get into this, it's like, there's bound to be some people in town who are just nice. You know, right? I mean, who are just like, you said like, you know, we, we mentioned that there are people who are nice to her and then turn on a dime. Like there, and maybe this is just different people's experiences, but like, I'm nice to some people I really don't like. Right, right. And, and continue to be nice to them while they're being people I don't like. Like, while they are actively being not, like, people who who do things that I think are distasteful and bad, I continue to be nice to them because that is what I was, that I was taught that that is a foundation of human society, right? Like, oh, this person's being a jerk. I'm going to continue to be nice to this person. Like, I must be. Um... And that, and it's weird to see a, a movie in a set in a universe where like nobody feels that compulsion to right. just continue to be nice despite everything. Right. I mean, I suppose that the old lady is the closest you get, right? Like, she's she's condescending and she's not nice, but she never she never turns completely to be like, right. Get get the fuck out of here! I hate you. You know what I mean? Which is what most people eventually turn to. When dealing with, and she's people, also right? condescending like, and a very old religious woman, uh, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, too, she's so. probably kind of that way with everybody. Would yeah, be my wild yeah. guess, but whatever. Like, um, and admittedly, Michette did walk in and track mud on our carpet. So, right, and and you know, but like, we get into this a lot. Of, you know, the, what what Michette does set up is an is an interesting uh, thing that is worth thinking about as a as a human being. Right, it's like everybody has reasons. Like especially when somebody is not being nice, right? Like, right. Michelle has reasons why she is behaving the way she is, right. and like, and they're very, they're very valid and good reasons, right? Like they are her manifestations life is, of a life of trauma. So, 
that has gotten probably noticeably worse over the last 24 hours of the movie. Right. Right. Like, things things were bad before. Things got significantly worse while we were watching. Right. Like, we, we, we are, we are, her life is a life of despair in which Bresson decides to focus on the most terrible moment of it. Right. Um, and, and, you know, and that and it is a fascinating thing that, that in this movie, uh, another, a thing that it does bring up is the fact that like, and I, and I've talked to this about with my, my family before she just lost her mother, right. Is among the trauma she has suffered in, in this like 24 hour period. The amount of people who have decided that it's a good time to make demands of her is, is a wild thing to think about. Yeah. It is definitely true in our in societies, right? Like, oh, you just lost a loved one. How about I now make like demands of you? How about I now just expect things from you? Like, w- when somebody like loses somebody important to them, like why why would the, the automatic response be like, well, I'm going to need you to do a bunch of stuff here, okay? Like, I'm going to need you to be on the page with me, the person who didn't just lose somebody. So that this society can work. I don't like she goes into that shop, right, to get the milk or whatever, and it's like this this little girl just lost her mother, what, like less than a day ago? And yeah. you're like, I'm gonna need you to be a very a fully functional civil human being right now is is a very weird take to have on a fourteen year old. <laughs> Right. Who just lost her mother? Right? Who just lost her mother and who's though though I guess to be fair in their view Michette has already been a functional uh, backbone of that household, uh, despite right, her. Right, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. For for some time, so I guess I don't know. And, and the turn is that they see scratches on her chest, uh, and and of course assume that that's she's being promiscuous when it is the end result of a rape, right? Right. Well, and and you, I mean, there's a lot. I mean, there's a lot to unpack there, right? Because, like, number one, like, why on earth would scratches on a on a person's chest be a symbol that, like, they're like, like, wait, what? Like, that's not a right. Wait, what? Like, this person's clearly been injured. Number one. Number two, like, it's a fourteen year old girl. Like, your assumption, like. You get into a real, like a real specific perspective on on human or on uh, female sexuality. If you're like, if you're like, well, this fourteen year old girl is clearly like just you know having sex with all the men in town. Like, yeah. wait, what? Like, that's like maybe you should talk to all the men in town. Like, what are you talking about? Like, right. this is a fourteen year old girl. Uh, but like you know, this movie clearly. I mean. Is it accurate? Probably. Uh, but, you know, that doesn't make it any better, right? Right. People are bad people. Well, certainly the, all the people in Bresson films certainly are. Right. Except for or whoever the main character them. is. The main right. Uh, the, the majority of them, yeah. yes. Yeah. I mean, yes, except for the main character. Yeah. And then death is a sweet escape. So, Yeah. That's one thing. Mid-century Catholic, you know, this movie doesn't condemn Mouchette's actions in the end, right? It is, it yeah, is seen yeah. as a logical escape, right? 
Right. So. Well, and it's fascinating. I mean, because like we also know, like on a deeper level, right? Like we know. I mean, Michette's not probably not going to die there, right? Like, I suppose that's fair too. Like, I mean, like if we're being totally honest, like at some point her base instincts will kick in and try yeah. to save her from drowning herself. Plus like, those... Now, whether those or not she's successful or not, who knows, right? Like, I mean, we don't know that. But, like, at some point, she her body will scream out for air and sort of make demands of her. Hopefully. And maybe she'll fail. Right. But maybe she won't. In not seeing her... We see, we hear her go into the water. We don't, we don't see her drown. Um, exactly. So, yeah. Uh, those huge clogs, though... If she keeps them on her feet, right, right. they're going to make it hard to get back to the surface because she's going to be upside down because they're floating, right? So, right. I mean, yeah. There. I mean, there's 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 reasons to suspect that she drowns at the end, but given the situation, that it, that is a tough call. It is very hard to know, and and obviously, Bresson wants it to be that right, way, right? right? Like he wants, like it's not committing to her being dead is is just not a good way to end this right like it's just not i mean not knowing that she's escaped her suffering is 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 part of it right right um so yeah right yeah it's uh <laughs> like any Bresson film that we've watched um with with very few exceptions it is an emotional toll uh, that I'm not entirely sure I ever want to experience again. <laughs> but yeah, no, I mean I I can't say I would ever I necessarily want to watch this movie again. But I mean I do think you know that this was pretty impactful. Uh, I think I'll remember this one for a while. Yeah. Um, like again, and then that, and again, that in in part is has to do with like cast choices and stuff, right? Like I mean. You choose a child for your movie, and like, yeah, people are going to remember the terrible things that happened to that child, right? Like that's just yeah. a, pretty much a guarantee. And 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 in that way, Bresson, if you're talking about art being transformative, I mean, to a certain extent, just remembering a thing kind of forever is is it is its own form of transformation, right? Like this is now a part of your permanent sub like psyche, right? Like. You've got this, and you're going to carry it around until you're dead. Yeah. Here you go. Uh, is a form of transformation, in my mind. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. You're very right. So, the uh, the thing I discovered right before we started recording that I wanted to investigate and had to push back on hitting record. Mouchette.org. Oh, yeah, I saw that. Yeah. Is a 1996 art project, and very clearly a website that has not been not been substantially updated since 1996. It exists in its original form. Um, it is a, a picture of Mouchette. In the narrative of the website, uh, she is about to turn 13. Um, but it is it is the... It is meant to be a, a diary of our character. Uh, and and you get into it, and it definitely... Uh, I mean, there's like a survey asking, what's the best way for a 13-year-old to kill themselves? 
Um, this is a weird website. Yeah. Uh, but like, it's also it's also very clearly built in 1996. Like there's little animated gifs of flies uh, crawling over flowery backgrounds, uh, and you can you can reload the page to get different flowers uh, that are all hyper close. Oh, and, and also different portraits, bugs. which I got one that looks like a vampire or something. <laughs> here I am, ten years later. Yeah. The weird thing is, I never come here when I actually. But this is clearly someone who's like much much older than 23. Yeah, it's very weird. I don't know what this website is. It's very confusing. I this this website is very, very confusing. Um, I just clicked on Walla Walla. I don't know what's happening here right now. The little the little clickable survey thing. Yeah, has links and they take you different places and. Yeah. I live in Amsterdam, and now I've got a picture of uh, this is my house. In this is very weird. Well, that's a website. This is such a – it's a very interesting – I clicked on uh, – I, I clicked on one portrait of a, uh, a woman who's clearly not the same as any of the us others. Um, uh, she has flowers in her hair, and it takes me to a page called uh, – Star Tears, that's a bunch of flies, it says under construction, it says, but do not click me, which is a link to a deviant art page full okay. of, full of, uh, apparently last updated in 2009 and full of CG art of, uh, the first one's an alien, the second one's a leaf fairy, a female fairy wearing a couple of well-placed leaves. Uh, I don't know what any of this is. But again, from the Netherlands. No, it's all an art project about online identity, too, among other things. So Yeah. Yeah. I, I like that. Is I cannot figure if the sound... Oh. The, the website has sound, huh? Yes, the website has sound, and it's actually playing clips from the movie. Very short, uh, very short audio clips from the movie. So yeah, it's very deeply odd. upsetting. The the, the, <laughs> the word you're looking for is deeply, deeply unsettling. <laughs> I suppose that's true. Yes. I mean, I, I, this website definitely makes me uncomfortable, and I'm not sure I'm clear on why, but it definitely does. Um, I found a section of the website that appears to be about taking pills. Ooh, Game Zone. Oh, it's a pop-up that says, do not play with the pills. Okay. <laughs> uh, anyway, this is... This is an art project from 1996, and that is the most indicative thing you can say about the nature of this yeah, website. I mean, yeah, it, for sure. Very true. Uh, but yeah, it it's is... everything an art project from 1996 <laughs> would be. So at one point, there was a survey up on this website, a, a poll asking uh, which users thought were better, this Nouveau Mouché or the, the film version. Uh, and that got uh, Bresson's widow 
to sue uh, to okay. have to try to have the entire website taken down. Uh, but but they ended up just taking down the poll. Uh, okay. But like the website still uses the very clearly copyrighted material from the film, right? So. Right. Yeah. That's it's that this is all very weird. Like I mean, but like also like oh, I don't. Very strange. Yeah. The creator of the website has been a closely guarded secret. Like, I, yeah, I guess so. Um, I don't know. This is a, that was a weird experience. We just went through a very weird experience. Uh, and it does feel very different from the, the experience that we had while watching Machete. Like, yeah. Not at all the same experience. Further exploring that website is uh, is its own very weird thing. So yeah, I I kind of gave up. I at some point, I, I a few minutes ago, I, a minute or so ago, I closed it because I was like, well, this is not this is not going anywhere. This is only making me more uncomfortable. Yeah. Hmm. Anyway. So there's that as well. A, a a weird little side project inspired by the book in the film, Luchette.org, uh, that uh, <laughs> looks like it was built on Angel Fire. Uh, yeah. Yeah, it does. Which is, what is it, 1996. It all checks out. All checks out. Uh Pat, is there anything else you you particularly feel obligated to bring up about Mouchette? Not, not, not really. I mean, it, when you when we get deep into these kind of movies, it can be a real it can be a real challenging because, like, I mean, this movie does not give joy. Let's be right. very clear about that. Um, and so, you know, you get into this. Like, I mean, we could much like we it. Movies like this present the same kind of problem that, in in many ways, that like really funny movies we watch do, and like the really, really, the ones we really love, in the sense that, like, yeah, I mean, we could sit here and recount all the terrible things that happened. Right, right. Like, and 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 discuss each one of those in detail, like presumably, like how it relates to the theme and stuff. But in the end, they're all going to be very, very similar, right? I mean, I suppose the the fascinating thing is, I, I suppose, is the way that, like, really how Michelle deals with trauma. Yeah. And, like, because she just has to, right? Like, nobody nobody is there for her to allow her to cope with trauma in a, in a, in a healthy and, like, like, substantive way right like it's always just her sort of sorting it out herself right and her answers are are fascinating in the sense that like you know number one is she she lashes out at people right like which you know makes sense and everything like that but then you find these these interesting things like for example um when um when the gamekeeper's wife tries to talk to Michelle about what happened 
you can get to a certain extent, like based on facial expressions and stuff, that like she's legitimately trying to be yes caring. Like yes. that, 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 but but Moshe's life has be, has been up until now has been so filled with the opposite of that that her immediate response is to sort of push her away and create a sort of sort of a fiction to kind of just escape, right? Like it it, it is fascinating because that's one of the other few opportunity like situations where we do see someone as far as i can tell just legitimately trying to be kind to her yeah and in in it moshe is just so unprepared for it that uh that it it sort of uh goes weird on her and 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 we don't know a hundred percent right because like the gamekeeper's wife offers her money to come talk about it and and it's hard to tell is that like part of like trying to get our scene thrown in jail or is that just part of like this woman trying desperately to get Mache to talk to her about this thing, right? Like, it's hard to know, right? Like, but at least when it first starts, it does feel very honest. Uh, and, and, and I don't know if that's Breston's intent, but like, you know, again, we blank slates that we can just sort of paint our own pictures on, right? Um, it can, it can always be a little bit hard to tell what Breston's goals are uh, with each character's interaction. Um, so I don't know. It's just a, another like moment that I thought was kind of particularly interesting in sort of Mache's story overall, right? Right. Um, yeah, definitely. Uh, I don't want to. When we talked about Al Hazar Balthasar and the female star there, uh, we talk about uh, Bresson's blank slate as a means of control, right? You know, he wants to use amateur actors because they won't question him. Is something we definitely talked about with Alhazar Balthazar. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, and I feel... I think there's danger in that. And I don't... There is something predatory about that, or that could very easily go predatory. So, I don't think Bresson is... is there but i'm also i'm always very nervous when i hear things about like that and uh, yeah i understand that <laughs> i i tend to agree with yeah. that as a, and in that regard i was also very nervous when uh nadine nordier's mother the actress who plays Miche, uh when her her mother in the behind the scenes documentary the german one uh says that bresson discovered her at the swimming pool uh, yeah, we actually, I think we talked about that during Balthazar. We talked also. about that with the, uh, I remember specifically we talked about it with the Roman Polanski film we watched, Knife in the Water. Right, for sure. Uh, where where it is very clearly and overtly not, it is definitely predatory. <laughs> the way, right, for sure, well, yeah. We, and we, not because we, of preconceived notions about Polanski. Uh, but also because of onset stories about how they treated that woman, right? Absolutely. <clears throat> whereas, whereas this one, I think it's hard to know, right? Um, just because, like, there's not, despite how Moshe is is treated, and and some of the things that happen to her in the story, 
she she is not overtly sexualized right. in this movie. Right. And I think that's an important difference also that we see from like for example the Polanski movie in the sense that like not even the water that young woman is absolutely overtly sexualized. Yeah. In in that movie. Oh, so yeah, absolutely. I mean it, it so I mean there's a difference there. I I mean I worry about the same sort of thing with the amateur actors and and I find the entire concept a little bit fascinating in the sense that like the re- it is hard to tell because Bresson's one of his stated goals is that like with using an amateur actor is to get those kind of like natural reactions but he simultaneously wants no reactions at all. So it seems that more of his goal is like well I want somebody who has no preconceived notions about how to act so that I can just keep the slate clean which is is a we- it it can be very predatory I suppose but like I think in this situation it's more it is it is I'm less concerned with so far from what I've seen with Bresson's work than I would be from other right, directors right. in that environment I really it does very much based on what you see on the film that this is a person who very much wants people who have no fucking clue how to act right because he wants to keep it that way right which is where um, where the one actor returning gets interesting in that in how he views the work as tedious and mindless right. 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 Well, I think that's probably why Bresson was okay with this. Like, right. well, this this guy because he is a yeah. true empty vessel who will just <laughs> right. He will stay this way forever. Right. Apparently, he will do whatever. He is invulnerable. Yeah. To, like, do whatever to Bresson tells him to do, and then yeah. go back to building walls, and he'll be fine. Exactly. Absolutely. <laughs> which is which is fascinating, right? Like, oh well, Bresson. As long as he finds exclusively people with zero acting ambition ambitions whatsoever. And like, who are apparently immune to the to the to the pull of that particular calling, right? Right. right. Like, even oh, I'm I'm going to become famous. No, no, you're not. Yeah, you're in a Bresson film. That was that was the conversation with the with the female lead of Balthazar. He's like, oh, I thought I, you know, I'd be in a movie, I'd get other work, but Bresson didn't actually teach me how to act. So, right. Yeah. yeah. Like, and presumably other directors are well aware of the fact that like, oh, well, you were in a Bresson film. That just doesn't. Care. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, you're you're Sorry, still starting from zero. That's no here. film experience. I... Yeah, you still have zero film experience. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah, <laughs> a man told you to walk around and make blank faces at things, uh, and actually actively taught you how to make a blank face. Right. Right. Ah. <laughs> uh, well, I think that's impressive. one of the other interesting things about this with with her as a little girl or a child. I mean, a little boy would be just as effective. Um, is that like a blank face on an adult reads a specific way, which is a person who has kind of been ground down by life. Yeah. Whereas a blank face on a child reads differently in the sense that like when you see it on an adult, it's a, it is a, it is a facial expression that you are accustomed to, right? We encounter adults who are showing blank faces all the time in our lives, right? Like, all you have to do is enter essentially any business and you will encounter minimum of one person who is just like, just fuck this noise. Like I'm just, this is, this is my, this is my getting through the day face. Right. Yeah. Whereas that is not a natural face for children at all. Like children do not have a need for generally or, or are even capable of portraying a, a blank facade. Right. Like, because that's not, just doesn't it's just not a thing children usually need right 
and so in that sense, that's another sort of thing that makes this movie really fascinating, right? Is because it again, you don't get that with a donkey. Uh, yeah, presumably. Uh, whereas with a child, you get this sort of like it reads even much more clearly that like life has been very, very harsh when a when a child just shows you a face that is like devoid of anything, right? Uh, and 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 you're even less inclined to paint emotions on it, I think, unless like you know, again, like if you see an adult walking around with that face, you can, as a person, sort of start making pretty rapid assumptions about what what they're feeling right because you've made that as an adult you've made that face before right whereas when you see it on a child it's harder to do that without the context of the movie because you you as a child probably never did that face yeah because you didn't unless i mean it is very possible that you did experience the sort of trauma that would be necessary to 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 arrive at that place as a child but we certainly hope not and i and 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 that as a as an audience member who didn't experience that sort of trauma as a child, like it it is makes us puts us in a position where we're like, well, now we need to know why this child yeah. looks like that. It is is a fa- it is a it is an interesting technique in the sense that from an audience perspective, it's another way to sort of pull you into the story to find out like what could possibly make a child this lifeless. Yeah. Turns out it's a lot of tragedy. Well, exactly. But, you know, but, like, if your goal is to, to create this sort of Catholic realism universe where, where like, well, I need you I need you as an audience member to be committed to watching 90 minutes of this tragedy. Yeah. It, it helps, right? Every little bit that, like, keeps the audience engaged for the full, for the full terrible nightmare ride is important, right? Because it's hard to get people to sign up for 90 minutes of hell. Right. It just is. So. Right. Right. So anyway, I think it's time to pull this to a close. Yeah. We've been talking about the 1967 film, Robert Bresson's Mouchette. Uh, next week, we'll start a box set called oh boy. monsters and mad men. Oh boy. <laughs> a selection of sci fi and horror from 1958 and 1959. Uh, all produced by Richard and Alex Gordon. Uh, directed by. Uh, I believe there's only two directors between the films as well uh, Spencer G. Bennett and. Robert Day, uh, but yeah, so it'll be a it'll be a great uh, yeah fifties nineteen fifties American science fiction and horror British, movies are, British are, I believe, are lovely but yeah sci fi horror so it'll be definitely definitely a different swing from our Robert Bresson uh, oh we've collection. got so much Karloff oh boy yes yes Boris Karloff is in I believe at least I'm so excited right now uh, but yeah look very much forward to that. And we'll see you next time for that. So thank you once again for listening to Lost in Criterion. I am, as always, the Adam Glass. With me, as always, John Patrick Oatari Doria. We'll see you again.
You've been listening to Lost in Criterion, hosted by John Patrick Oatari Dorgan and the Adam Glass, who edits it. We're a production of WithTwoBrains.com. Jonathan Hape does the music. Check him out at JonathanHape.Bandcamp.com. And hey, if you like us, why don't you give us a review on iTunes, like us on Facebook, and support us on Patreon. That's Patreon.com slash Lost in Criterion. We'd appreciate it. Recording. I am also recording. I want to take this opportunity before we actually start talking about the 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 movie to talk about something that I've I've decided I wanted to wait until we were recording to talk about because it's been weighing on my mind for nearly a decade. Um, okay. Do you know? I I assume I am going to go out on a limb and assume something that is definitely true that you are aware of a band known as the Flaming Lips. Yes. <laughs> yes. And you're aware of yes. the of the the 2002 album Yoshimi Battles the Pink Robots. Yes? Yes. Yes. Okay, so one of the tracks and and you know, the title track really, Yoshimi Battles the Pink Robots Part 1. Yes, okay. This is a thing I've been thinking about for a very long time, Adam. Okay. In this <laughs> song there is a weird rhyme. And that rhyme is they pronounce Yoshimi, which is a Japanese name. Yeah, and has very clear being Japanese name has very clear and concise pronunciation guidelines as Yoshime, okay, quite yeah. often. But then they proceed to pronounce me may, like as in like the <laughs> the word me, like yes. like destroy may. And I I have been dealing in my mind for nearly a decade with trying to figure out which came first. The mispronunciation of the Japanese name or the crazy pronunciation of the word me. I think that's just Which Wayne one Coyne's, is being bent to match which one? That's Wayne Coyne's Pittsburgh accent. Uh, but, like, I, I understand that. And I, I get know, that. Man. I don't know. But, like, but he, but I was like, I was like, oh, well, maybe it's an accent thing. But then I was like, where, where, where did the band form? Oh, Oklahoma. Yeah. I was like, uh, wait a minute. People in Oklahoma don't pronounce it May. That's true. Um, and then also, like, even people who have a different accent, like, I mean, I understand that everybody has an accent. That's fine. But even people who have a different accent are usually aware of other accents' pronunciation of words and are oftentimes able to be flexible enough to get where they need to be for a rhyme to work. You know what I mean? Like, like, well, I know that people somewhere pronounce it this way, so I can bend my pronunciation to match that. So a thing that I've been literally thinking about probably once a month minimum for 10 years is why are both of these words mispronounced? <laughs> okay, okay. Yes, but um, so Coin is originally from uh, born, in, born in Pittsburgh, but apparently okay. uh, lived in Oklahoma City for, for most of his life, I think. He still lives in Oklahoma City. Seems I, like it. Uh his, his the personal life section on his Wikipedia. Uh, Coin lives on a compound of four houses in the same neighborhood in which he grew up. Uh, okay, popping down All a right. little bit. Popping down a little bit. Uh, in 2012, Coin separated from his common law wife, J. Michelle Martin Coin. In September 2013, Martin Coin filed for divorce on the grounds of irreconcilable incompatibility. The two had no children together and disagree on how long they had lived together. Martin Coyne saying since 1989. Coyne saying since 2004. 
Wait, what? That is a 15-year discrepancy in how long... What does that mean? ...how long Wayne Coyne believes he lived with his ex-wife. What the hell? I don't even know what any of that means. Well, that... That, that, that certainly adds some color to this person who can't pronounce the word me. <laughs> um, like, I, it, it is it is legitimately has baffled me for years. I, I, I know it sounds like a joke, but about once a month, in one capacity or another, it will come to my mind and I'll go, wait, what? Like, both of these words are mispronounced. Yeah. It's not like you had to flip one to match the other. You just mispronounced them both. But I assume you made a choice about one to match. You were mispronouncing one of them, and you're like, well, I've just got to bend this other one to match it. Uh, I, it, it baffles me. Like, it baffles me really, really deeply. I'm never going to get an answer to this unless I actually meet the person and be like, just say the word, like, you know, give it to me or something like, and like just, just like run a quick test. If you always pronounce me may, then maybe I'll know. But like, I've, you've met people from Pittsburgh. I know. Like they also don't say may. I know. Like, I don't know. It really bothers me, Adam. I'm sorry. Like, I just needed to get it off my chest and I wanted to put it on the recording, even if it never makes it out there into the real world, because it makes me feel better. (laughs) Good. To know that somewhere out there, my 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 complaint about this pronunciation has been put on a formal record. I feel much much better. I feel very good that you believe this is a formal record. Well, I mean, in the sense that it is better than me sitting in my car and going, "Wait, what?" Which That's is fair. which has been what it's been for about ten years. So there you go. Excellent. I feel better now. I feel I a feel, lot better. I feel better for you. All right, cool, wonderful. Um, I do have an intro for this for this movie as well, so we don't need to cut. I can just roll right in. Excellent. Uh, uh, and if you cut it now, I will die because I'll have to do this again sometime. <laughs> so let's just, even if it never makes it anywhere in, like, just leave it in. Just leave it in. Of don't course. stop the recording. Um, it just makes me feel better. All right. Um, let's see here. <laughs> 